From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I have the theme song from an old TV show going through my brain right now. What would we do, baby, without us? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. What would we do, baby, without us? Uh, that is for, well, maybe you should make it a trivia. <laughs> no, that is that is Family Ties from the 1980s. If anybody was alive back then and you remember that, you can let us know. The reason it's on my mind is because I just watched this very interesting documentary on... I think it was Apple, t- yeah, Apple TV called Still, S-T-I-L-L, and it's Michael J. Fox telling his story, uh, his life story, how he became a Hollywood star. His big break was that show, Family Ties from the 80s, and then he did all the Back to the Future movies. And he was he was a big, big, you know, draw at the box office in the 80s. And then he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in the early 90s, and he hid it from the world. I imagine many of our listeners out there know the story, but some of the younger people may not. He hid from the public that he had Parkinson's for a number of years, like seven or eight years. And he was filming another TV sitcom at the time called Spin City, and he was hiding his symptoms from everybody. And what really moved me just hearing his life story, it was kind of a reliving of you know, some of my 80s, 1980s memories. But the marriage that he and fellow actor, they met on the set of Family Ties, Mm -hmm. Tracy Pollan, I believe is her name. Mm -hmm. Their marriage, you know, you don't get a lot of Hollywood marriages that last very long, especially when trials come. Their marriage has faced many, many trials. And when when Michael J. Fox told his wife the tragic news that he had Parkinson's, first words out of her mouth, and this is what really moved me, were, were um, you know, and he was worried, what's she going to say? Is she going to leave me? I've already put her through hell. He was an alcoholic for a long time. He was t- traveling the world, making all these movies when they had little kids. And he said, basically, Tracy was a single mom because I was out and about making all these movies. I was hardly ever home. And that's how he was just hiding from his problems. So he tells her he has Parkinson's, and the first words out of her mouth were, well, what did we say? What did I tell you at the altar Uh, in sickness and in health, right? And I meant it. It was really moving. I mean, that's, Mm. that's what we all yearn for, to be loved in good times and bad, in sickness and health, richer, poorer. Really, those wedding vows are just right in step with what the human heart longs for, what we know we want. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad that it's so rare. You know, it shouldn't even, of course, that's what a marriage is, right? You have Parkinson's. Okay. In good times and bad and sickness and health. Absolutely. But the fact that we expect now that something really tragic has happened, you're going to leave me. It just shows the fragility of our hearts, the insecurity of our hearts, the world we live in that, that robs us of that security. Yeah. And the, the declaration of, of her fidelity and, and just getting a little window into what they live through day by day with his Parkinson's was just a testimony to the fact that love is real. It really was really moving. So if you're an 80s fan, if you loved Family Ties or you loved those Back to the Future movies and you want to learn about Michael J. Fox's story, you, you might want to check this out on yeah. Apple TV. Yeah, I love that. That I I know we've mentioned on the podcast before, just how good documentaries. I'm sorry. How what I'm trying to say is, good documentaries are good for our hearts. Yeah. We enjoy them yeah, and we we're grateful do. for them. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I I just love human stories. I love, and that's what really came out his humanity. And he, well, this is great too. I forgot this part. Well, and I don't. I didn't tell you this, Wendy, but the way he fell in love with with Tracy Pollen, if that's her name, I think I got it right. Uh, they were on the set of Family Ties, and this is after he, Michael J. Fox had become this huge Hollywood star with Back to the Future, and he got a big head to his his own admission. He mm-hmm. was, 
he was a jerk to people and he started thinking he could boss people around on the set at family ties and and uh tracy when she was on the set for several episodes she had none of it she would not take one ounce of his bs <laughs> and and he once made some rude comment to her and she called him on it and he said i fell in love with her right in that moment Aww. because she cut through all the crap mm -hmm. she didn't treat me like some big movie star right and i said i knew i knew then i had to i had to know this woman <laughs> yes yeah, pretty awesome it is that really is awesome makes me happy it's worth being happy about genuine love yeah. i mean i don't know the whole of their marriage who knows what yeah. we all have our ups and downs and problems i just for a hollywood marriage it was pretty dang impressive yeah so what updates do you have for us on the TOB Institute? Yeah, I just want to encourage anybody out there, if you are kind of thinking, you know, should I go on that pilgrimage to France oh, yeah. on that love boat river cruise? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is, yeah, you probably should. And if you're thinking, well, how am I going to pay for it? That's pretty expensive trip to Europe, flights, all that stuff. Yeah, it's not cheap. But we have stories, I'm telling you, there are stories we have of people who really wanted to go and didn't have the money, and they just offered that intention to the Lord, and the Lord provided. So if you want to go on this pilgrimage, I'm saying this because we are going to be winding down our promotions of it in the next, well, we have, you know, we, we have through the summer, but we're, we're, we're kind of gearing up for our last push to... Uh, yeah, encourage people to sign up. If you've been on the fence, jump off that fence <laughs> and sign up. We want we want to have you with us. We want to meet our podcast listeners all around the world. So, yeah, check out the link below to learn more. And we always have links to our courses. You can check out what's going on in our online and in-person courses. And a shout out to all of our patrons. Thank you, everybody, for the support you offer our our mission can't do it without you and an encouragement if you're not a patron would you please click that link to learn more about becoming a patron we we're in a situation now at the institute where we really need to raise some capital for a new phase of our mission and ministry we need to make some new hires and we're relying on people who believe in what we do to support us there so thanks yes, and thank you to yeah. those of you that already do so grateful to all of you mm -hmm. and i have a question from one of our patrons very good this is from Joseph. Hello, Joseph. I often hear the idea in evangelical circles that people tend to treat romantic relationships as an idol. In my experience, that's just a nicer way of saying, if you want it too much, you're wrong. I recently received this advice, and it cuts especially deep when it comes from someone who is married. Mm. I'm so frustrated. I feel as if I'm constantly being told that I'm wrong. That doesn't take away the aching. Mm. I've tried everything I can think of, exercising, ending porn use, improving my sleep, focusing on hobbies. I've tried praying more. I've even tried an herbal antidepressant. Nothing helps me because I'm not depressed. I'm lonely. Oh, bless you, brother. And it feels like a dagger to the back when I ask for help and I'm told, I'm wrong for wanting to be less lonely. Oh. God should be enough, and he should be enough. Why isn't he? Well, I don't really think that he isn't, but I also don't think God will give me the kind of back-and-forth conversation that I need. I don't hear him say anything specific about my questions. It almost seems like he's ignoring me. I can't feel his hands. I can't Oof. hear his voice. But even in Eden, where God really did speak face-to-face -face with Adam, creation was not good until he finally created Eve. I didn't make any progress against my bad habits until I became convinced he actually did want to provide for me. Mm. I was so bitter and resentful until I started to believe that. Placing my trust in that provision is the only way I can find strength to keep pushing myself when I want to quit working out or quit fighting porn. And it isn't as if I just want to dump all my problems on her, either. I don't expect her to magically make me happy. But how can I live without human touch? Mm. 
Why even have skin if mm. I never feel oh. anyone else's on oh. mine? Oh, wow. I just can't stand being so starved for touch. Why have ears if the only voices I can count on hearing are the voices in my computer speakers? I'm absolutely miserable living like this. So the one thing I can't bear is being told that I'm even wrong for wanting. Oh. I'm hearing so many mixed messages about who God is and what he has to say to me. It seems like all the proof I need that he's not really saying anything. And all of us are just guessing because we made it all up. I don't think God sees all our longings as idolatry. When Zechariah was an old man, maybe years after he'd given up hope, God's angel met him and told him that his prayer had been heard. I don't think this is any different. How am I supposed to approach such a profound longing, such a fun fundamental need, without the danger of making it into an idol? Wow. Joseph. Joseph, my brother, I wish I could sit down with you face to face, have a beer or a few, and just talk and pray together and laugh and cry together. Uh, Joseph, you are, you are a man of deep longing. The scripture that comes to mind, just as I'm listening to Wendy reading these words that come straight from your heart so vulnerably, so poignantly. I'm hearing this line from the Psalms, deep calls out to deep, right? And, and what you are feeling, that deep ache, that deep longing, is what Pope Benedict XVI calls the signature of God on your humanity, a signature written with fire, he says. That ache, that longing, that loneliness, that tender, um, I was, the word that comes to mind is agitation. Like it's, a, it's, it's, I hear in your voice a certain agitation because the longing is so painful. Brother, you have a rare gift to feel what you really feel. And your expressiveness is, is very moving to me and I'm sure to, to so many who are listening to this. I want to address the issue of idolatry. I want to address the issue of does God hear our longings? Um, there's so much more you unfolded there. Wendy, maybe you can keep track since you have his words in front of you and I do not. If there's a, a very specific thing that he wanted me to address that I'm, I'm not addressing here. but Let's begin with idolatry. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from there. Like, don't tell me my desires are wrong. Uh, here I am in so much pain because I desire this, this relationship with a woman so poignantly, so painfully, and you're just coming at me and saying, well, that's just idolatry if you want it that much. What is idolatry? Idolatry is what happens when we aim our desire for God at something less than God. That is idolatry. And the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, don't do that. <laughs> don't aim your desire for God at something less than God. I am the Lord your God. Don't have any other gods before me. You know, how we hear those words from the first commandment really is a window into how we conceive of this God. You know, if we conceive of God as kind of a jealous, tyrant kind of God. Uh, he, and we'll hear those words like, hey, I'm, I'm God. Don't, what do you, don't go have any, any gods besides me. Bring, give me all your attention. I want it all. I want it all. Kind of in a greedy way. That is not God. That is not the heart of God. The heart of God in that commandment is, I know that the yearning I put in your heart is a yearning for me. It's, a, it's the heart of the Father in the first commandment, have no gods besides me. It's a heart of the Father to fulfill super abundantly the deepest desires of our hearts. Put your trust in the Lord, says the psalmist, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. Now, here's where we get into a real danger, and it is a danger. And, and Joseph, I want to say this with utmost respect for 
You are understandable. Don't just tell me my desires are wrong. Uh, and I don't want to tell you your desires are wrong. But I do want to tell you because you're human and you're not exempt as no human being is exempt. You are in need, as am I, as is every human being, of the purification of our desires, right? So recognizing that our desires are in need of purification is not the same thing as saying they are wrong in themselves or bad in themselves, right? If you're, if you're, if you're getting the message from anybody that your desire for closeness with a woman, for intimacy, for, for love with skin, right? Love with bones, love with flesh and bones, flesh and blown love. I, and we call that, and I'm going to use this word in, in the good sense, bodily love, carnal love. I don't mean carnal love in, in a negative sense. I mean carnal love that is incarnational, right? Our whole faith, everything we believe hinges on carnal love in this sense, the love that reaches us through the incarnation, right? The source and summit of everything we believe in this good sense of the word. I know people use that phrase carnal love in a negative sense, but I'm, I want to use it in its most positive sense. At the source and summit of everything we believe is incarnate love. This is my body given up for you. This is my body given up for you. That desire for love in the body, through the body, mediated, communicated, experienced, through the body, this is what the Christian life is. So, I'm not going to tell you your desires are bad in themselves, but I am going to say, like every human being, Joseph, my dear brother, your desires are in need of purification. And idolatry, the catechism says, is a constant danger of sacramentality. What do we mean by sacramentality? We mean that physical things, all that God has created in this physical world, is a sign of a spiritual mystery. And because the things of this world, physical realities, are signs, we can mistake the sign for the reality it signifies. So marriage is not only a sign, it's the primordial sign, John Paul II says. It's the primordial sacrament, the fundamental, original revelation of the mystery of God, of what we're really looking for, union with God. Union with God is what we are really looking for. Marriage is the sign, the incarnate embodied sign in this world of the heavenly reality we long for. The heavenly reality we long for is the marriage between God and us, the divinity and the humanity. The union of a man and woman, as Paul tells us, is a great mystery. And it refers to Christ in the church to the degree that, that you, Joseph, or I, or any other human being, and we're all inclined in this way, confuse the sign for the reality it signifies, then those desires are in need of, of purification. And there's, there's no way around that. There's no softening that. I can't tell you, I would be wrong to tell you, um, we don't all need that kind of purification. We really, really do. I'm in need of it as much and maybe more than anybody because I, I have a particular, I don't know, um, tendency to latch on to things of this world. And the reason I have that kind of tendency to latch on to the things of this world is because they ease the ache and Joseph, this is where I, I, you know, I said, first off, I, I wish I could sit with you because your, your heart is resonating so deeply with me, brother. You're a man who feels. I'm a man who feels this stuff. Mm, and it, yes. it is painful to long for that which we do not have. And yet, by God's grace, I can also speak to a certain, it's a paradox, what I'm about to say, but it's true. Um, Therese, the little flower, says, ardent thirst itself can be the most delightful drink. <laughs> ardent thirst itself 
can be the most delightful drink. Brother, that ardent thirst you feel, that ardent yearning for love, for union, for how did how did he put it when he uh, about um, love with skin on or something? How did he say that? Can you find that line? Hmm. He, he was whatever it was, Joseph. You were talking about. Um, Why I, even have skin if oh, I yeah. never feel anyone else's on mine? Ah, oh, oh, there it is. There's the longing. There's the the pining. There's the the deep, deep. Well, the saints call it. This was the expression that was coming to me. The saints call it the wound of love. Joseph, you are gifted in feeling what the saints call the wound of love. I would invite you, my brother, I'm, I hope this doesn't come off as somehow super spiritualizing what you're going through. I don't mean it at all. I want to keep you rooted in your body and at the same time open to the divine because that poignant, yearning, aching wound of love that is ripping you up, tearing you open, it's holy brother it's holy it's the it's the divine signature on your humanity it's a signature written with fire do not try to rid yourself of it do not try to numb yourself to that ache learn how to stay in that ache with it open and bleeding trusting that god wants to bless and kiss and meet you right there. I cannot say whether he wants to bless you with a spouse in this life. I have no idea. I can't say it. I don't know. I can. I certainly know of situations of people who long for marriage late into life and their prayers are eventually answered and God sends them a spouse. I also know of people who long for marriage and spend their whole lives longing for marriage and no one comes into their life. These are mysteries I can't explain. I can't know, of course, what God's plan is for your life. But this I know, brother. I know this is God's plan for your life. An eternal fulfillment of that longing. And I can almost see you, Joseph, kind of rolling your eyes. Don't, go, oh, don't. Brother, it's, it's, and this is where the, 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 the word idolatry is fitting. If we are refusing to raise our, our, our longings to heaven, then we are inevitably aiming them at things of this world. And if we are aiming our longing for heaven at things of this world, that is the definition of idolatry. The purification that is required is the redirecting of the desire from the sign to the thing signified. And the more we go on that journey of redirecting the desire from the sign to the thing signified, the more we will experience a delightful freedom. No one is as free as he who desires what he really desires. And I, I, at the risk of you writing me off and just feeling like I'm doing what everybody else has done, I want to say, brother, maybe it didn't come off in the right way, the way people have said this, accusing you of idolatry or what, what have you. But there's an element of truth in it because we're all prone to it. But here's, here's what I, I want to tell you. That desire, the more you learn to open it as prayer to the Lord mm. for a fulfillment that is promised you in eternity. And when I say in eternity, don't think some vague uh, future that has no form or shape and now you just have to suffer. No, no, no. If we could, if we could compare our, what do we get on this life? 80 years, 90 years if we're lucky. That is a blip compared to the infinite eternal reality for which we are destined. This life is a blip. Teach us, Lord, how to number our days, right? Man is but grass. He, he sprouts in the morning, he flowers in the afternoon, and he fades and dies at night, right? A thousand days is, is like a, a year, and a year is like a thousand, what, no, how's that go? A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years in the mind of the Lord. We, we need to remind ourselves of those various verses of Scripture that just try to put time and eternity into perspective. Really and truly, what you yearn for is what Scripture calls the marriage of the Lamb. Do not confuse the sign with the reality signified. The more you aim that yearning at the reality, 
the more you'll be liberated from a kind of demand that you cannot possibly be happy in this life unless you have a spouse. If we believe that, I cannot possibly be happy in this life unless I have a spouse, then there is, brother, I hate to break it to you, but it's true, there is some level of idolatry in your, in your desire that is in need of purification. And I'm going around and around here. I've said a lot of stuff probably mm. two or three times already. But I, my, my whole point, if I could sum it up, is I want to affirm your yearning, brother. Your yearning is not bad in itself. Your yearning is God-given. But why did God give it to you? Not to make you miserable. The saint, the saints tell us, saint after saint will tell us, there's that line in the Song of Songs that they are reflecting on where the human yearning for a spouse is not met in the Song of Songs. The bride, in this case, in the Song of Songs, it's the bride who's yearning for a bridegroom. The bridegroom comes, he looks through the window, she's in bed ready for his coming and ready for the consummation, and he turns around and he leaves. What the heck? And saint after saint after saint has told us, the Lord does that. He seems to abandon us. Key word is seems. Mm. He seems to abandon us in order to stretch our desire. Because of the fulfillment he wants to give us, our hearts are too small. And so he needs to stretch our yearning in a very painful infinitization of desire. St. Augustine says, imagine that God wants to give you a gift, but he wants to place it in this purse, which is your heart, but the purse is too small. Well, the leather needs to be stretched in order for the gift to fit. And that coming and going of Christ in our lives, that coming of going of God's presence in a tangible felt experience. He comes to affirm and assure us he's there and he goes to stretch us. I remember I was one in one period of real stretching at one point in my life and it was just agonizing. And, and when I get in that place of agonizing desire, my temptation is anger and I was letting God have it. And as often happens, he sang a song to me. Mm. This is a song by a band called Train. These lyrics just came right into my heart. Please believe that when I leave, there's nothing up my sleeve but love for you. Mm. Brother, that feeling of the Lord leaving is an invitation to allow your heart to be infinitized, the desire to be stretched unto the capacity to receive an infinite satisfaction of that holy, beautiful desire. That is the promise, and we can place our faith in it. I um, am so touched by all that Joseph shared, and when I originally read his question in our file, I thought, oh, how do I shorten this? <laughs> because, you know, that's something I, yeah. I do edit sometimes to just kind of make things uh, a manageable length. And I thought, I I left it for a while and I came back and I thought, no, I really am not going to shorten it. I, I really just need to include it all. And I wasn't sure why, but now having read it here on the on the podcast and you talking about it, I'm seeing, especially in what you're talking about, the Lord kind of coming and going, just seeing how even though he in one point is to articulate the suffering he's going yeah, through, yeah. there's another thing where he's giving us a window into his spiritual journey yeah. and experiences of graces in his yes. life. And one of the graces he has experienced was a realization that God truly, truly wants to provide for him. And that belief that the Lord wanted to provide for him freed him up to make a lot of beautiful changes in his life. And he talked about those, you know, struggling to, you know, change it, but that he needed to know God loved him and is yeah. wanting to provide for him in order to be willing to address issues that need to be addressed. So how many of us can relate to that? Like, uh, just it's just a powerful sign of God's intervention, drawing you to himself, Joseph, and giving you graces, making possible things that aren't possible in your own strength. And I hope as you remember the process you've gone through in these different areas that you've addressed, that you remember that the Lord was helping you to accomplish these things, that you didn't just 
do it on your own. And even now, as you continue to do it, remembering his love and his provision is helping you. So I think that's a beautiful window, but you've also given us a window into the ways the evil one whispers in your ear. And we we do experience this in our journey with the Lord. And areas of suffering are particularly vulnerable to the evil one wanting to put mm. doubt in our hearts. And so later on, you said, uh, I'm hearing so many mixed messages about who God is. It's all the proof I need that he's not really saying anything. Mm. We made it all up. Mm-hmm. So there's the voice of the evil one. Mm-hmm. You know, God isn't even real. You've made yeah. him up. He doesn't care about you. All of that you're hearing, like that's a, just a sign of like the spiritual battle, the, the treasure that your heart is and the treasure that you have to give. The Lord has been beautifully, you know, working in your heart and the evil one is not up for it, you know, is out to just discourage you and tempt you with just giving up and seeking consolations that you can kind of grasp at in this world. So I really think that's why I read this whole thing, because I think yeah. that's what the Lord wanted, or that's part of what I'm the Lord wanted to, you know, t- just illuminate for you, Joseph, and for our listeners is that, you know, we are on this journey and we do need discernment. We really do. We need to recognize how we are listening to these different voices, both of humans, but even more so in our thoughts and um, that are that are telling us things about our God. And you, you started out when you were talking about that first commandment. How do we hear that first commandment? It depends on who we believe is speaking to yeah. us, how we understand that. So I think that has been really just a thing just striking me as we've been talking here with Joseph is that sense of remember who the Lord has revealed himself to you as, but also expect him to reveal more, that he's not finished. He's he's poured out this incredible grace in your life, and he, he wants to go further with it. And, and one of the things I think for myself, as I heard you, Christopher, talking about opening up these longings um, to the Lord, is that in my journey, some of that has led me to um, experiencing a lessening of the suffering associated with some of the longings. Mm. Because as I have really opened them up, sometimes the Lord has shown me s- parts of my story that maybe were um, wounds or fears that kind of made me latch on to this good desire in an excessive way, you know, and to place so much on it that it then had a power to caused me great pain and discouragement. And as I've as I've kind of prayed through things, different memories that over time have come up, it's it's allowed me to experience the same desire with a much greater trust. And I I do think that's also part of what the Lord has in store for Joseph. I am very glad as I said that you read that whole question and I sensed as you were reading it I was like, wow, that's a longer one than you you will typically read. Yeah. But I, I was glad you did because it did give us a window into Joseph's heart. And I, what I, what I hope you're taking away here, Joseph, is hope. I hope you're taking away hope. And I want to point you to two paragraphs in the Catechism, Catechism eighteen seventeen and eighteen eighteen. And I want to read to you what it says there. Hope is the virtue that responds to the aspiration to happiness which God has placed in every human heart. Joseph, you are feeling what God has placed in your heart. Mm -hmm. You are, their whole, everything you shared with us is this aspiration to happiness. Now listen again. Hope is the virtue, it's a virtue, that responds to the aspiration to happiness which God has placed in every human heart. It opens up our hearts in expectation of eternal beatitude. And beatitude here means bliss and fulfillment of our deepest desires beyond our wildest imaginings. That's what beatitude means. Mm. And the catechism goes on. Hope saves us from discouragement and sustains us in times of abandonment. Hope is the virtue 
by which we desire eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises, not in our own strength. Man, if that's not like the the corresponding puzzle piece to the, the gaping place opened up in Joseph's heart, Mm-hmm. Um, I just see like these two puzzle pieces, one with the nubber that sticks out and the other with the nubber that's, or the hole that the nubber fits into. Mm-hmm. I hope my nubber language is communicating. I mean, I hope what I'm trying to say with my nubber image is, is getting communicated. There's a hole in your heart and there is a puzzle piece that fits with its God-shaped nub right into your God-shaped empty space, brother. And to try to fill that with anything other then the Lord, it is a form of idolatry, as much as you hate that word. Um, we do need to look at the ways we, we turn things that are less than God into God. And we need to ask that we would have a real taste in this life of the fulfillment he does want to grant us in this life, which comes through the sacraments. And yes, marriage is one of the sacraments. So, Wendy, maybe you could just lead us in a prayer for Joseph that God's will would be done in his life and he would have the virtue of hope. Joseph, we are praying for you right now. Lord, we desire your will for Joseph's life if you are calling him to marriage. Lord, we pray for the one you are preparing for him, that she would be protected, that nothing would hinder them from finding their way into the sacrament you're calling them to. Lord, we trust you that you know us better than we know ourselves and that you are so faithful. I ask you to speak truth into Joseph's heart of his goodness, of his desirability, of his importance that he has a gift to give, Lord, and just shine your light in his heart. Let him not doubt your goodness, your love for him. In all these circumstances, Lord, we lift him to you. We pray for him, trusting that you truly love him. Amen. Amen. I'm, I know we needed to spend that time on Joseph's question. The, the next two questions, I think we can give them a good answer fairly quickly. So let's go with that. The okay. next one is from a listener named D. Hello, D. She says, I really enjoy listening to your podcast, especially because I love things that set my heart on fire for love of Jesus. Mm, wow. That's great. Awesome. I, yeah. I have a six-year-old daughter, and I'm trying to teach her not to make poop jokes. (laughs) 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 Because they're inappropriate. Am I doing the right thing by teaching her that? Or am I causing her to feel shame about her body and its natural functions? Awesome. Is the concept that poop jokes are inappropriate a theological or a cultural concept? Maybe I should just teach her that there's a time and a place for these types of jokes. Do you have any insight? Yes, I have some insight, and I'm so glad we get this question. Wow, I love this question. This is one of my favorite questions in four and a half years of doing this podcast. (laughs) This is one of my favorite questions. (laughs) I think she already gave the answer. It is, there is nothing, nothing, um, well, well, let's, let's rewind before I give an answer. Let me, let's just talk about this. Why does she make poop jokes? Why are, why do poop jokes exist? Right? Poop jokes, body humor in general. Humor is a tool of the heart for dealing with things that we find uncomfortable. And yeah, pooping is not the most comfortable thing in the world to to talk about. We feel this kind of incongruency. Everybody poops, right? Remember those books oh, we sure. read to our kids? Yeah. Everybody, if you don't know the Everybody Poops books, <laughs> go if, and you have little kids. The Everybody Poops books are, are great. It What I love about the Everybody Poops book, is it a series of books or just one book? Uh, we have two books, but I think just one of them is called that. Yes. Okay. There, the it's a one. series by the same author, but there's one called Everybody Poops. And what I liked about that book, reading that to our, our young kids when they were young, is that it it normalized the experience, right? And it's dead on true. Everybody poops. So... Why don't we like to talk about it? Why is it uncomfortable? Why do we go do it behind a closed door? Not every book, every culture does that, by the way. This was very enlightening to me. My younger brother, Nathan, lived in Africa for a number of years. And 
he spent time with a certain tribe or village where everybody just went back to this spot where everybody pooped and there you went you there's no shelter there's no nothing it's the poop field you squat you do your business and you might be squatting right next to somebody else who's doing his business or her business and that was just kind of normal and if when i first heard that i was kind of shocked from my cultural background but the more I thought about it, I was like, well, that's kind of normalizing and, and healthy to, you know, from a different angle. It opened my eyes that the hangups we have here in American culture are not the same around the world. Uh, you know, please don't write to me saying that's so immodest. I can't believe you're endorsing public pooping. That's not my point. I'm not here to endorse public pooping. I'm here to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love that sentence. That was good. Maybe that's the title for this episode. <laughs> Christopher West does not endorse public pooping. Um, I'm just saying it's educational to realize different cultures think differently about these things. And humor, uh, obviously poop jokes and sex jokes can get crass and can become inappropriate, in not just in a sensitivity sense, but even in a moral sense. When it, when it becomes crass for crass sake, yeah, that, okay, of course, I'm not going to, you know, say that's healthy and wonderful. But the fact that we do have poop jokes and sex jokes, it's an attempt of the human heart to say, hey, can we laugh about something that we typically find shameful or uncomfortable? Can we acknowledge this as a normal part of human existence? And that attitude is healthy. So, I would encourage your daughter, I think she said she's six. Yeah. You said it right. There's a time and a place. So teach your daughter the time and the place, right? Among family, among close friends, fine, time and place. Uh, in, a, in a public place when you don't know people or, or you know, at mass after <laughs> in the vestibule, probably not the best place just because of cultural sensitivity. Not that God is offended. If God were offended about pooping, guess what? There'd be no incarnation, right? Jesus pooped. Mm -hmm. Jesus pooped. And everything Jesus did was holy, right? So there you go, a whole new meaning to holy shit right there. It's holy. Everything Jesus did was holy. Why do we even put those two words together, holy shit? Why do we, why, I don't know, but there's something going on. We want to, we want to reconcile what we think is gross and disgusting and unholy with the fact that we know some, no, 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 everything God made is holy. Everything God made. He made for a reason and reflects something of his own splendor and holiness, even that. What? I don't know. I'm not going to go down that road right now. I have some theories, but not the time and place. <laughs> but I think you're, you're recognizing all the dangers in the very way you phrased the question. Am I shaming her? You might be. Be careful about that. Uh, would it be, would it, don't, shouldn't I give her some boundaries? Yes. There's a time and a place. Should I just shut the whole thing down? No. Because there's something... She's trying to express an integration. She's looking for an integration. She's looking for a, how do I reconcile pooping with, 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 with life? And you as her mom, you're in a unique position to, to help her find the balance. What do you think about what all I just said, Wendy? I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> you have helped me to be comfortable with this whole pooping thing because you're a nurse. And I remember I was learning so many things from you. I mean, you had to deal with all kinds of poop issues as a nurse and of course every parent has to deal with poop and their kids and you have to we have to deal with our own poop every day um <laughs> and there's a reason you know there's a reason that freud talked about being anal retentive you know when we don't deal with our poop issues we become anally retentive i think there's something to it so all things in good balance and you know what i would just recommend to all the listeners that are out there rolling your eyes at me right now for saying these things i would just invite you like if you got issues, if you got poop issues, if you got like anal retentive issues, um, open that up to the Lord. I, I know this sounds weird. It probably sounds really weird to people, but I have had some real healing here from from authority figures in my life that I, I who had little leanings towards some prudery and really made me uptight about this stuff. Humor was my release and. I remember one time, Wendy, you said to me, we were driving somewhere and I, I let one rip in the car and I, I felt this shame, like, oh my gosh, I just flatulated in front of my wife. And, and I said, I'm so sorry. And you said, I am not, something like, I am not offended 
by the way God made you, nor that you have to exercise the way God made you. And I'm telling you, Wendy, when you said that, there was a deep healing in my heart, and it was a healing I needed. So oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just tell our listeners, this may be TMI a little bit, but we did kind of bond in our friendship that was becoming romance yes. by just laughing at poop jokes and, and stories. So, you know, we have a, a certain just smile the whole topic. <laughs> yeah. No, there's there's a we should be light on our feet about these things and not hung up. Uh, that's that's would be our word of advice. And I did. I start I knew I was like this is the kind of woman I want to get to know. <laughs> and I know I'm going to love her cuz I already do. When we were on our first date and you were telling some really hilarious diarrhea stories, I was like <laughs> this is the kind of lady I want to spend the rest of my life with. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Here's a question from a listener named Julia. Hi, Christopher. My husband and I welcomed our baby girl this spring, nine months to the day from when we were married. Congratulations. Wow. Mm -hmm. We're looking into NFP to help us adjust to our new life yet again. I'm very tempted to use ovulation predictor kits to help get us started, but want to know if that's appropriate. Since you're the expert, please tell me what you think about these and if it's a step too far. Thanks so much. Well, Julia, I'm just going to throw you right over to Wendy because she is trained as a nurse and trained as an NFP instructor. And yeah, I, I mean, I I could say something, but you'd say it just as well as I would on this one. So All I'm, right. I'm tossing it to you. Yeah, Julia, I just want you to know that there's absolutely nothing wrong with using an ovulation predictor kit or any other means that is available now or in the future to understand what your body is telling you about your fertility. So we have learned many things over the years by we, I mean, um, medical research about how a woman's body communicates and makes evident the stages of the cycle. And so some of those are signs that can be observed very low tech in um, requiring no device whatsoever. And that's awesome. And it's especially wonderful because it creates an, a possibility of people in all different cultural and social settings to be able to learn to understand their cycles. But there are also people doing research into ways that um, you could maybe test different things to um, get a sense of hormone levels. And that information is also useful Nothing um, about the ovulation predictor kit is problematic. Yeah, and I'll just add this. I I have a real pet peeve, and this is, I think, is an example of why I get so aggravated about it, because it leads to this kind of confusion. When people use expressions like artificial birth control or artificial contraception, um, that word artificial, get it out of your mind. That is not, it doesn't have anything to do that word has nothing to do with why the church teaches that contraception is immoral. What is immoral is rendering the sexual act sterile. When we start placing the emphasis on the artificial word, I think that's what causes the confusion. Oh, well, this ovulation kit, I'm using something artificial to track my fertility. Is that okay? See, there's, it causes exactly this kind of confusion. Has nothing has nothing to do with the artifice, the, the thing that is is artificial, right? It has to do with what is the means by which you are avoiding a pregnancy. The means by which you are avoiding pregnancy, Julia, is abstaining from intercourse when you're fertile. If you can determine you're fertile with more accuracy by using this kit, well, by all means, use the kit if that's what you're comfortable with. The means by, the, by which a couple is avoiding a pregnancy when they use contraception is engaging in an act of intercourse and then rendering it sterile. Right? And some people, again, because they've placed the emphasis on artificial, they think, well, we're fine. We're not using any condoms. We're not using any diaphragms. We're not using the pill. I'm just pulling out the withdrawal method. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, if, people th if people think that's okay because you're not using anything artificial, again, this is why we should never put the emphasis on artificial. By the withdrawal method, you are engaging in an act of intercourse, but then you are rendering it sterile by ejaculating elsewhere. Right? This is 
tragically, tragically wrong, right? Uh, this is to defraud the sexual act of its God-intended end and purpose. So, yeah, Wendy, you're, you're spot on in all she's saying. And I, I'm, if you're hearing an edge in my voice, Julia, it is not aimed at you at all. It is aimed at the confusion that is caused by people who, who, who don't teach clearly about what the church really believes on these issues. So, mm, bless yeah. you, Julia. Bless you. Yeah, I just want to say one more thing to yeah. Julia and her husband. Just that even though it can be a little high stakes learning to use NFP for the first time when you are postpartum, meaning you have a, a small baby, please know that many people learn NFP in your very circumstances. You're not alone. But I do think that having a teacher or someone um, journeying with you through the early stages of learning about your cycle, even if you use some technology to help, it, I think that's very important. So I would just encourage you and your husband to trust that this canon does work, that you are amongst many good friends who have experienced this, um, but to definitely um, get some help and guidance from one of the methods that is available. And specifically, there's the Marquette method that was developed around being able to test for hormone levels in urine. So that may be of interest to you if you want to look up the Marquette method. Thank you, Joseph and Dee and Julia, for your questions this week that we answered. And thank you to everybody who continues to submit questions. Keep them coming. We hope we can get to your question in a future episode. If you were blessed by what you heard today, please hit that share button and share it with a friend, a family member, a co-worker. Just think that would be pretty awesome if everybody listening today shared it with just one person, how the blessings could then be passed that would be along. awesome yeah so until next time my dear brothers and sisters please know it in your bones you are an unrepeatable gift become what you are ask christopher west is brought to you by the theology of the body institute with music by mike mangione christopher and wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.